Welcome to the Saddle Hunter Podcast. Tell your boss to stand down, tell the other drivers to relax, and tell your wife to shut up. Just kidding, don't tell her to shut up. That would be bad. Now, here are your hosts, Greg and Scott. What is going on, Saddle Hunters? Greg and Scott here with the Saddle Hunter Podcast. It is great to be coming back to you again. How are you, Scott? I'm doing well. How are you, my friend? Doing excellent. Now, this is the time where we would normally catch up and BS about trail cameras and saddle hunting and getting ready for the season and bow hunting and work and family and all that stuff. But we've got a pretty good podcast tonight, and we got a lot of content. So what do you say we kind of get right to it? Yeah, I'm, uh, I got a chance to listen to this. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to, uh, to make it down to Savannah with you to participate, but you got to speak to Walt. And um, it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun, so why don't you uh, hop in so everyone can hear. Yep, that's right. I uh, had the chance to go fishing here in Savannah with Walter Lee from the Chasing Tales podcast, and I went out and showed him how to fish. Uh, pretty much gave him a free lesson, no charge, Walt. And uh, then we had a chance to sit down afterwards and talk about saddle hunting because Walt is an aspiring saddle hunter. So basically, I took the time to answer all of his questions about saddle hunting and is it safe and comfortable and you know all the things that a new hunter or a new saddle hunter would want to know. So without further ado, here is Walter Lee from the Chasing Tales podcast. Walter, how you doing, man? Dude, I am great. My hands are pruny. I've got some 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 bass marks from having held them, uh, getting the hooks out, and I appreciate it, dude. Uh, we we had a good morning fishing. Yeah, I wish my uh, I wish my thumbs were a little more chewed up. Uh, I have a couple little a couple yeah. little marks, but I also went fishing yesterday. I caught two or three yesterday morning, um, and so what? What did I catch? I catch. I think I put two. How I many I put two or three in the boat today? At least three. Three? At least three. And then you had at least, what, two or three more? I had like, spit the hook right yeah, at the last so second? Yeah, so we caught the one, like, the second cast, mm-hmm. right right when we launched the kayaks. I caught one immediately that, that got off. Then when we went across the lake, the other one hit, and that one spit, the, spit it. And then one more that jumped and spit the hook. So mm-hmm. I had three on and three in the boat. So six. And what did we start? 7.30 this morning, something like that? Probably, yeah. It, it wasn't super early. No, no. We we took a real casual approach to to getting after it. I think we probably fished for three hours and we got out about. No, we probably fished for close to four hours because yeah. we left at eleven, right? Right. I think it was. I think it was yeah. slightly after eleven yeah. when we finally buttoned it up for the yeah. day. Yeah, I finally convinced you to quit quit getting hung up. Yeah, I, I have a problem. <laughs> I have a problem with fishing. It's I just can't stop once I'm out there. But but realistically speaking, had you had a barn burner of a day would it have been easier for you to to have stopped no no see for me i'm the opposite like i can eventually eventually like the food need starts to like outweigh the need to catch mm. a fish and if i had like caught nine eight pound lunkers at 11 o'clock if you said walt i really need to go i've been like oh okay had we not caught anything all day today we'd probably still be out or I, i'd still be out there and you'd be like bye i'm going home to get well when you put it that way i mean if <laughs> if we had caught multiple fish in the you know five plus pound range five to nine then uh definitely would have been easier for me to get off the water but 
I mean, we just never really figured them out this morning. Now, it could have been like you mentioned. We had, a, we had some low pressure coming through here. We had some storms. So it could just be that the fish weren't really active when we were trying to get them to hit. But, yeah, we caught a few here and there. We just couldn't really put a pattern together. No, the only consistency that we found was they weren't on the, the real edge of the grass. They, they kind of liked that five to six feet of water, and then the Senko was the only thing we got a bite on all day, wasn't it? Yeah, the Senko, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think I caught, I threw pretty much the kitchen sink at him, and yeah. I don't think I you caught anything busted else. out a big old crankbait that yeah, would have made Bill, Bill Dance happy. That was a Hail Mary <laughs> for sure. Uh, but that was good, man. I'm glad you came with me. This was a lot of fun. Glad glad you were able to make it over here from Tallahassee and, and get some get some water time in the kayak. It was a lot of fun. It was much needed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I've been so freaking busy. This is the one, two. This is the third time I've fished this entire year. So what? Yeah, at this point last year, I already had a dozen, two dozen days on the water. I just, I just haven't been able to go. I've been too busy. What are you doing with your life? Well, man? I've been a lot going on at work. Uh, I started a new job at my my day job, and then I've been working on this tethered stuff, and it's caught up. You know, it's taken up so much of my time. So that's pretty much it, man. I've just been slammed. As long as you don't miss out on deer season. Yeah, good point. Good Pri- point. Priorities have to be in a line. you got to have priorities. So <laughs> I guess people probably don't want to hear us talk too much about fishing on probably the not. Saddle Hunter podcast. So before we get too deep into it, Walt, give us the elevator pitch. Who are you? What do you do for a living? What do you do for fun? What's your background in hunting? Are you married, et cetera? Give me the, give me the elevator pitch for who you are. Well, I am a generalist, I would say. I primarily focused on whitetails but that's probably because that's my biggest big game option if i had you know a bunch of other stuff running around here i'd probably be chasing it too but uh honestly i spend the 99 percent of my time chasing whitetails with the bow and the other half the time chasing ducks and well not half the time the other one percent of the time chasing uh ducks but uh i'm a resident of tallahassee florida my wife and i live there and we both work at florida state university i uh go gators are you a Gator fan? I'm a Gator fan, brother. I just bought your lunch, <laughs> and I'm a Georgia fan. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. That's all right. That's okay. Hey, you're a Georgia fan, and you work at the enemy, the arch enemy, Florida State Seminoles. That's pretty funny. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to say before – okay, we're going to have to rein this in because we're going to completely sidetrack this entire segment. But uh, there's not a whole lot of bad blood between FSU and UGA. No, I would say there's none. They don't. Oh, okay. You guys don't. Ever oh, your arch enemy. So for you, FSU is your arch enemy. Well, that's what I'm saying. Florida, Florida State. Really? I mean, that's, that's your arch enemy. Yeah. Oh wow, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah. I mean, there is one game in Florida that matters every year in the state of Florida that matters. And that's Florida, Florida State. Well, game. We, we knew it didn't involve Miami. Yeah. Of course <laughs> not. Nobody cares. Yeah. I mean, I would say the rivals for the Gators are in this order: Florida State and Georgia. And see, this is interesting because for me, it's Florida and Auburn. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, let's not get down yeah. that because they they darn sure did not uh, tune in for yeah for that dialogue. They don't want to um, hear about the best football conference in. in they sure in they can't football. handle it. Yeah. They can't handle the they truth. They can't handle it. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm an accountant by day. Um, I am a podcaster by night. I have a podcast called Chasing Tales Outdoors. Uh, the basic premise of that is we tell hunting and fishing stories, and it's evolved a little bit to kind of be this open campfire. Uh, platform where people from all over the country can come and express ideas and topics and strategies and we mix all that into the pursuit of an adventure. We do not get focused on 
uh, the size of the animal. Matter of fact, you'll very seldom hear me refer- reference any game that I kill or uh, uh, that is ki- that the the guests talk about. We don't typically talk about bucks and inches, right? Like we just we just talk about that adventure. There's nothing against that. I would love to kill a 200 inch buck. You know, there I said it. So <laughs> anybody who who writes in and says, you know, this guy's you know got a chip on his sh- uh, shoulders, it's not true. I just I feel like the adventure is what makes what what can bring us all together and that's what we try to share so uh i'm gonna count it by day and i'm moonlight as a, po- a podcaster is that how you say it or would it be the other way around you i don't know that's kind of on you to decide <laughs> <laughs> one day i'd like to do this full time but yeah uh, yeah it's a great podcast i'm a big fan i was actually listening to it this morning uh driving on the way to fishing uh to go fishing's uh, big fan of the podcast and the reason that we brought you here today on the saddle hunter podcast is because you are considering, you're on the fence, you're right there knocking on the door, mm-hmm. you're about to jump in, you just quite haven't quite made the leap into saddle hunting. Correct? Yeah, 100%. So yeah. my job today, Saddle Nation, is to convince Walt, who runs the Chase and Tails Outdoor Podcast, <laughs> to convert to the best hunting system known to man. And... To do that, he is going to just pepper me with questions. He's going to tell me why saddle hunting sucks in his perspective. <laughs> you know, the, all the problems that he sees with it as a traditional tree stand guy, and I'm going to do my best to help him see the light. There you go. Sound fair, Walt? Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a, a hell of a challenge for you to take on, but kudos to you for commi- you know, taking, taking on this uh, task. Let's get going, man. Right, what is roll. the what's the number one question? Not just you. Maybe maybe you can kind of speak for the general hunting community. Well, I'll allow that for this uh, scenario. <laughs> what do you think is the number one question that tree stand traditional tree stand guys have, or the number one roadblock to jumping into saddle hunting? Let's talk about it from your perspective first. What what's the biggest question you have? I, for me, the biggest question is safety. Okay, so like I, I'm, it's no secret if you've listened to my podcast before. If you haven't, I'll I'll just tell you now. I'm scared of heights. Okay, that's that's my biggest concern. Now I also rock climb. I also climb 30 feet up in a tree with a climber. You know, but I I do so with a very deliberate fashion where I'm always attached to that tree with a safety harness. Right. Um, so. You know, my dad fell. I don't know if you heard that podcast. My dad fell from a tree. I didn't tree hear stand. that one. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. So uh, I've seen firsthand what falling from, from those heights can do. Mm. So for me, safety is more important than actually pursuing the game. If, if I don't have my safety harness, I go home. So for me, my biggest concern is how can, uh, and, and I'll just pose this as a question to you directly, how can hanging by rope, because when you get to the very top, you have your... Um, uh, bridge, right? You're attached via your bridge. Is that correct? You're attached okay. via a tether and a bridge. Yes. Great. So, but you're you're not attached by a lineman's rope. So only one thing has to fail, and then you're in serious trouble. Correct? Uh, well, I think multiple things would have to fail, but uh, I guess if you're saying a bridge or a tether, then yeah, if a bridge failed or a tether failed, yeah, you would more than likely be in for a a, a bad case scenario. Yeah. So then, my, you know, I look at it logically, and I think how many things have to go wrong. For me to fall, and if I'm in a tree stand, tree I have to, I have to somehow get out of fall. Either the tree stand has to break, or I have to trip and fall out of the tree stand, and then I have a backup, which is the safety harness. And I think one of the fallacies that I've discovered is that I see the tree stand as a safety feature, and I don't know if that's really the case because you don't wear the safety harness to protect from the tree stand or from the fall. 
and you don't climb onto a tree stand to protect from... I'm sorry, I got that backwards. You put a safety harness on to prevent falling. You don't stand on a platform to prevent falling. And so my question is, how easily can those can those cords, those ropes, how often do they break? Well, let us let me answer that first of all. Let me answer your question with another question. You said you're rock climber, right? Yeah. Is rock climbing unsafe? 100%. 100%. How how do you make it safer? How do what do rock climbers do to make climbing um, to make climbing safer? Well, I mean, there's a variety of tools that you implement. The first thing is a, is a rock climbing harness. Well, I guess where I was getting that is that they there's there's never a point during in a rock climbing ascent where you're disconnected from That's your true. from your main line, okay, fair enough. right from your rope. Yep, and that rope is. I guess that is a single point of failure. If your rope break broke, you would be in the world of hurt. Um, how many times have you ever heard of rock climbing rope just straight up breaking? Never. I haven't either. I'm sure it's happened. Yeah. Um, but from a from a saddle perspective, which it sounds like you're already ahead of the game, because you said when you climb with a with a climber, you're always connected. So um, so let me make an assumption here. So you have a safety harness on. Mm-hmm. You put your climber on the tree, then you go ahead and you strap your tether, your safety tether around the tree, and you move that up the tree with you yep. as you climb. Okay, so so I would venture to say that you are in the top 1%, that 99% of, of climbing tree stand hunters aren't hunting that way. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, I think oh, there's a lot of carelessness that goes into how people use climbers. Yeah. I'll, so, just, I'll just flat say it. I mean, there's if I, if I had a dollar for every time I've seen one of my buddies climb and then decide to attach... Yeah, no. Yeah. So for you, you you know, talking, answering your safety question, I would say that saddle hunting um, is still safer than a climber because if you were to fall in a climbing, in a climbing stand at the top, you're still going to suffer a fall. So your, your safety harness is going to catch that fall. Mm Mm-hmm. Theoretically, if you got it hooked up right mm-hmm. and you have your tether set up and everything, you're still going to fall. You're going to get hurt possibly during that arrest of the fall. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to self-recover. So you've got, let's say your climbing stand, a strap broke and it fell to the ground. So now you're suspended 30 feet up in a tree mm-hmm. with no means to get down, hanging by a safety harness, and you've got to somehow self-recover. Good kind point. of a dangerous situation. Yeah. The, the difference when in a saddle is, uh, so first of all, kudos to you, you're, you're already being safe the way that you climb. But for let's, let's look at it from a perspective of, of the 99% that don't do that. From a saddle, you are connected to the tree via our lineman, loops, our lineman loops and a lineman belt. No matter what saddle system you use, they pretty much all have a lineman belt integrated into it. You're climbing, connected to the tree the whole time. Then when you get up to hunting height, you're setting your tether and you're hooking into your saddle. So before you ever disconnect from the tree, you're hooked in with a with a tether, which is a load-rated climbing rope or some sort of heavy-duty rope. Uh, some people use a webbing strap, you know, rated for many thousands of pounds. I recommend a rope just because I think it's more user-friendly. But any sort of super heavy-duty rope that could suspend a Jeep, you know, 5,000-pound mm-hmm. rope, you're going to be safe. The chances of that failing are pretty slim. Okay, but let me just stop you right there. Are you telling me that the climbing ropes that are used are rated to hold 5,000 pounds? Yeah. See, that's something that I've never seen. Like, okay. uh, that's and, and it might be my fault that I haven't looked that hard to find that information. I had no idea y'all were using ropes. 
Yeah, rated for that. That's insane. Yeah, most guys, I would say most most people are using uh, climbing rope. There's lots of different kinds. I mean, there's there's uh, um, well so, predator rope and right. uh, all types of different brands. But so the the tethered system that is being released. I saw an Instagram video, and they were testing. Is it Amsteel cable? Is that what's called? A- Amsteel rope. Yes. Amsteel rope. Okay. And that's not cable. That's an actual. It's an actual. It's rope. a fiber. It's a braided Dyneema okay. fiber. Okay. Is that a synthetic? It's a synthetic. Dyneema is stronger than steel. Okay. Pound for pound, stronger than steel. It's the strongest substance that they have to make uh, weight bearing stuff out of. Okay. Is it like? Is it uh, mold and rot resistant as well? Yeah. Okay. All UV resistant and all that. Stuff. So it's it's a so it's a it's a high weathering. It's capacity. actually a it's it's designed for the marine industry okay it's a marine rope it floats right uh and it's it's waterproof essentially wow okay so that's awesome because it's not going to hold on to moisture so you're not going to have a mildew aspect that may, that's cool so the the stuff that's on that tethered system is 5,000 rated for that 5,000 pounds yeah the rope is rated the main rope we'll call it we'll break it up by section okay. so just for just for this particular system so you asked about the tethered stuff and and this Pretty much relates to all saddle systems, not just the, right. the tethered stuff. But so the the rope is generally anywhere from four to six thousand pounds mm-hmm. rated, and that's your tether. That's the main line that you wrap around the tree and then hook to your saddle. Gotcha. Then another piece of the saddle that people consider you mentioned earlier is the bridge. The bridge is what hooks to your carabiner and connects to that tether, which allows you to rotate at the hips and it gives you freedom to maneuver around the tree. That's your bridge. So on the tethered system. It uses Amsteel Blue, which is about an 8,800-pound breaking strength. Other saddle systems use, you know, very similar. They use mm-hmm. climbing ropes and, and webbing straps that are all that all have very similar strength ratings. You know, anywhere from five to eight thousand pounds. So you're talking super, super heavy-duty stuff. Not anything that is is gonna break under a normal hunting condition. I mean, all this stuff is ANSI and OSHA approved and tested to you know limits beyond what it would ever see in a normal hunting scenario well that gives me great comfort because i believe that the webbing that's used on a lot of your your standard uh, safety arrest harnesses from tree stands that's like a 500 pound webbing right i mean that's a pretty i'm pretty certain it's like 500 to a thousand pounds so if i'm willing to trust that then i ought to be more willing to trust something with such a high yeah so another thing to consider is is when they put a a rating. When I say they, I mean the the safety harness companies. Mm-hmm. When when the safety harness companies put a rating on their, let's say a 500 pound, just because that's the number you used. So a 500 pound rating. You got to remember in the rock climbing and the weight bearing industry, they work on the one to ten rule. So the maximum would be 5,000 pounds, but the manufacturer is only going to recommend a working load of 10 percent. 1 to 10, 10%. Wow. That's where they get that 500-pound rating. So that means that they have tested it to failure at 5,000-plus pounds. So, Dan, a lot of that is for legal reasons, so they protect themselves from lawsuits, et cetera. Sure, sure. But the point being that in a normal work, in a normal scenario, nothing that we as hunters do would put anywhere close to a maximum load on sure, on the sure. equipment. So safety harnesses, saddles, they're all built super heavy duty, but I would say the main benefit for saddles concerning safety is that you're connected to the tree the entire time. And then the way that the way that you handle fall is different. I said it earlier, but a safety harness is designed to catch a fall. So you've already fallen. 
that safety harness is there to stop you from hitting the ground, right? Right. So there's still risk of in- injury from the arrest, and then you have to worry about self-rescue. Can you get back on your stand? Can you get around, maneuver to your climbing system, etc.? A saddle is designed to prevent that fall. So it's a big difference. One's designed to catch a fall. One is designed to prevent a fall. Okay. So so then let's uh, if if the the rope is not a concern, then what about the 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 attachment to the harness? Is that of equal proportional strength? Yeah, you're using uh, every saddle system that I know of um, that's ever been manufactured, mass produced. There's some DIY stuff that I used to use and that you know other people use that wouldn't have the same load ratings. But we're just talking about commercially available products mm-hmm. for saddle hunting. All that stuff is going to be using ANSI-rated, OSHA-rated, UIAA-rated climbing components, all stuff that's been tested to many thousands of pounds. Climbing, I mean, most companies are using mountain climbing equipment. Okay. Not trying to reinvent the wheel, you know. Yeah, 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 no. Well, and it makes sense because mountain climbing equipment, I mean, that's, from what I've seen, has largely remained unchanged. I mean, it's it's a system that just works. Yeah. You know, why why change anything? They they figure out ways to make it, you know, marginally stronger, marginally lighter every year. All kinds of different stuff. But you're right. Essentially, it's it's the same. Yeah. 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 And as the technology itself advances, then those components are brought into the product. But the the concept behind it, I guess my next concern is, and I I keep seeing this thrown out there, and it's something that's really highly contested. Um, Well... Were you were you were you ready to leave that topic? Because I'm taking it in a different. I f- I feel like I answered okay. your question. Yeah, you did. It, you did. I just want to make sure if, that if you feel like you're safe yeah. in a saddle, yeah, then yeah, you've yeah. answered the question. Well, and and this is the last safety related question, but it doesn't have anything to do with braking. There's a lot. If you go on Archer Talk, there's a lot of people that are like, "Hey, I'm looking at getting a saddle," and you'll have your uh, saddle diehards that do it. They use it. They know what they're talking about. And then you have guys that are like. You shouldn't use that style of safety harness because if you fall backwards, you're going to flip out of it. If you fall to the side, you're going to get dumped out. If you fall, there are ways that you can fall and be dumped out of that saddle. So when I'm looking at that and I look at the the arrest harness, I'm completely tethered in, right? Now, I do run the risk of hanging there trying to figure out what I'm going to do, but I'm completely tethered in for my shoulder straps and everything. To walk me through why a saddle is still equally safe. Okay. Good, good question, actually. Now, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. I have done, and multiple other YouTube users have done, I know Bobby Boswell, um, he's done a video about that particular question, flipping out of it backwards. I've done a video about flipping out of it backwards, and I have, I have flipped upside down multiple times in mine at ground level. I, have, mm-hmm. I haven't done it, you know, at hunting height just because it seems unwise, but... Uh, I've done it multiple times at ground level, and you cannot fall out of this thing backwards. Uh, if you, let's say worst case scenario, you're you're at hunting height, you're 30 feet high, you have a stroke, you have a heart attack, some sort of incapacitating injury, all that's going to happen is you're going to swing and you're going to hit the tree. You're not going to flip around backwards because of how your weight's distributed. But even if you did, these saddles, they have leg straps that hold you there. They have a belt strap that holds you there. And then once you flip over backwards, what you find is that friction from your tether pulling on the front, it just keeps that thing right around your waist. And um, I don't know if it's possible to slide out of one backwards. I've tried. Bobby Boswell tried. I've seen multiple saddle hunters try to fall out of it backwards. I haven't been able to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matter of fact, I put out a video on my YouTube channel 
about things that I recommend that new saddle hunters do. And the very last thing that I talk about is I tell everybody, hey, set up your tether just like you would at hunting height, but set it up at, you know, a foot off the ground and then try to fall backwards. Go through the exercise. That's smart. And what you'll find is that you'll just sling into the tree and and you're hanging there upside down. It's a little uncomfortable, but it's far <laughs> from dangerous. And and it's actually really easy to self-recover. You just kind of reach up, grab your tether and and flip upside down or flip right side up. It's super easy to do. And, you know, again, I don't know if it's possible. Maybe it's possible that you could slide out of it, but I certainly haven't been able to, and I've tried. I have every intention of trying. You should. My, I mean, that's one of those things that, like, I was thinking about the other day is, you know, when I finally get my hands on one of these things, and I'm looking forward to that, is I want to get upside down, and then I'm going to try and shuck out of that. Because the way I look at it is, and I'm and I'm doing my layers and everything, like, because I've, I've, I've thought this through. Um, I'm a very methodical person, um, if you haven't noticed already. Yeah. But, uh I'm going to do it in my regular hot gear clothes, you know, my thin clothes where the, the harness is going to be right up against my skin. If I can't fall out of that, then if I literally, while hanging upside down in the backyard, cannot shuck that thing off me, that's a good start. Yeah. If I can then put on my hot, uh, my warm, cold weather gear and have all those layers built up, and granted my system is pretty tight, but I'm thinking, you know, if I can't shuck out of that again, I mean, I can't see how, if I can't force my way out of it, I shouldn't be able to lean over sideways, and likewise, you know, go just slip out and tumble to my death or something, you know, so. That's a great, that's a great test. You should do it. Um, I haven't tried that. I haven't tried to literally push myself out of it, um, but what I have done, and like I said, Bobby Boswell, you can check out his video on mm-hmm. YouTube. Um, he shows it very well. He's he's in the saddle. He flips upside down, and he just is shake, and I do the same thing, but we're just trying to come out of it, and and you would never do that in a hunting right, scenario. Right. So, so the really the the only way that I see this applicable is if you were to, like I said, have some sort of incapacitating health issue, a stroke, a heart attack. Right. Something happened where you went limp, mm-hmm. and that caused you to flip upside down. Because if you were doing that in a hunting scenario, you were, I guess, you would just be trying to commit suicide or something. Yeah, I mean, right. why would you ever do sure. that? So, but you make a valid point. If you can't get out of it no matter how hard you try then mm-hmm. i would say yeah that it passes that test that it's impossible right. to fall out of it the, the 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 thought that i envisioned is you know i looked at the 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 uh, tethered platform and that i'm excited about that platform that platform looks awesome i like how it's got the 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 point on the side where you can brace your boot i think that's incredible i was born with two left feet hmm my biggest concern is, and, and I could see this happening to me, and I'm sure it will happen. Uh, matter of fact, I'm probably going to make it happen at, at ground level. Now that you've brought that up, that's really smart. I'm going to try to replicate as many different components of that fall as possible, or ways to fall, right? Um, but I could see myself like going to pivot and be all cool like Greg and put my knee on the, tr- on the tree and then just like... <laughs> right off the side. And that's like when I could see like there might be enough of a... like push off the side or something like that but i think again you're looking at it from i'm looking at it from a really simplistic standpoint and that is that they're slacking the rope if i'm going around that tree there's no slack. There, there's no slack so Ever. it's already pulling against me to begin with so yes i might you know um, fall off the side of that but it's going to wrap me up against that tree real quick am i right exactly yeah right. See? Yeah. yeah and so the other thing that that comes into play is 
I, I could see a scenario where if you were doing something like that, you know, maneuvering for a shot, mm-hmm. like I said, you put yourself in an awkward position. Lord knows I've done that enough up in the tree. Where, you know, you got your bow in your one in one hand. So one hand is is completely out of the game, you know, at this point. And so let's say you did slip at that point. Uh, you only have one hand to brace yourself against the tree because you don't want to drop your bow. Right. You know, and I could see that, you know, maybe getting some sort of injury from that. You know, maybe smash your head against the tree. Uh, you wouldn't have enough force to knock yourself out or anything like that because, like you said, you you already have that pressure. So it's going to be more of a, a swing into the tree as opposed to, like, a free fall into the tree. Yes, so I, I could see this... I could see this scenario where you might take some sort of small superficial injury, you know, scratching your arm, your leg, your hip, your waist, something like that, your back, or if you hit the tree with any sort of speed. But Mm -hmm. I I don't see the potential for any sort of substantial life-threatening injury uh, just from slipping off the platform. I mean, really, the worst thing that could happen is if you slipped off the platform and then you dropped your bow to to have both hands free, (laughs) you know, then that, that could be bad. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really see a scenario where you could get hurt, you know, like majorly hurt just from, you know, sliding into the tree. Well, and see, I wasn't aware, and I'll be honest with you, having talked this out with you now, I feel way better about the safety component of it because first off, I didn't understand the one to 10 rule. I had no idea that, that the, the, the materials used, uh, in those systems had such a, a high capacity to begin with, and then you factor in the 1 to 10 rule, right? Yep. Um, and then you consider, like, it, if you if you combine the, the revelation that I just had that anybody who's a saddle hunter already knows, and I apologize because this is going to be a really rookie episode for all your dedicated guys. You know, they're, they're just going to be laughing at me, and it, it's cool. Um, <laughs> totally, I mean, everybody laughs at me, so it's, it's all good. Um, but once you consider, like, that test that y'all did where you snapped... The, the 250 pounds at six foot free fall you're not going to have a six foot free fall so if the if that's if that that aluminum carabiner broke but the rope didn't you're never going to replicate that six foot so you should always be safe at that point i mean that's i mean that's the conclusion that you should arrive at i mean obviously i'm still i'm not gonna lie to you i'm still going to verify all those things but that's so that i feel confident with it firsthand right but logically speaking right now uh, that it's actually kind of i feel silly having been so skeptical up until now well you a shouldn't, little bit you shouldn't feel silly and and you you bring up a good point because it's new it's something that people aren't used to so it, it, you shouldn't feel bad about it um but what you should do is keep in mind that you you you're gonna want to practice at the ground level yeah. that's when you're gonna gain confidence you're gonna build confidence when you learn the system you learn the, how the bridge works how you slide in and out of your carabiner how to properly attach the tether so you know that it's you know idiot proof mm-hmm, H- mm-hmm. how does that happen what happens when you when you um pull up on the saddle and you relieve your weight from the tether is the tether going to fall down the tree you figure out how to mitigate that risk and then when you flip upside down you know six inches above the ground and you realize man i cannot fall out of this thing i am trying here and i can't do it then all of a sudden you're up 30 feet you know three months later and the big buck is there and you're twisting around to make a, a weird shot and you know Man, in the back of your head, man, I can't fall out of this thing. So mm-hmm. worst case scenario is I'm gonna not get the shot on this big buck, you right. know, something like that. Uh, and I tell people that over and over and over again: practice, practice, practice at the ground level, 
And, you know, it does the two things. It gives you familiar with your gear, but it also gives you confidence that you can't fall. Right. So my other, my other component to this that I, I want to understand is movement is everything, okay? When you're hunting game, when game's trying not to be killed, it's looking for movement, right? That, that is everything. Fred Barry said that it's been said for millennia, movement, is, movement kills, period. Saddle harness, you did a great video on the different zones and how you can make every shot. My concern is there's a lot of movement to make two-thirds of those shots, right? Does the tree provide a large enough benefit, a buffer, to allow you to make those? Like, the, 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 the thing that I envision is I go to Ohio, I'm sold on the saddle harness, I'm all jacked up on life, I go up in a tree, and I got a deer on the other side of the tree in an area that I have to maneuver 20 yards coming in quick. Am I going to be able to mo- maneuver quickly and stealthily enough to make that shot without bumping that deer? Okay. So you, you, you asked a lot. In, I did. In that I did. Question. I tried so, to summarize it with like a bring yeah. it all together with a scenario. Yeah. So let's, let's unpack that. Yeah. We'll try to see if I can unpack that slowly piece by piece. <laughs> so first of all, you brought up the fact that you can shoot 360 degrees, right. right? Let's keep in mind the type of advantage that is if you're, let's use your same scenario. Let's say you're using a climbing stand or lock on mm-hmm. whatever kind of stand, mm-hmm. your traditional tree stand equipment. And that deer comes in directly at six o'clock. Or at, you know, if you're in a tree, you're facing away from the tree. Right. You're facing 6 o'clock. Right. Um, in a traditional tree stand, the, or I guess we could flip it reverse, you're facing noon, mm-hmm. and that deer comes in at your 6 o'clock. Right. You can't shoot that deer in a traditional tree stand, for the most part, at 6 o'clock or maybe yeah, no. maybe at like 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock to your weak side if you're you right-handed You've got about 270 shooter. degrees. Yeah. Everything behind you from like 4 to 7 is pretty much off limits. So, so first part of that question is is you, you can't make that shot in a traditional tree stand. You can shoot directly behind you and in front of you mm-hmm. with, a, with a saddle. So first of all, there's the first part of that question is you do, in fact, have that, and it is an advantage over a traditional tree stand. Second part, movement. So let's think about that from a traditional tree stand, all right? So let's say you're, let's go back to that scenario. You're sitting in a, let's just say a ladder stand. Since mm-hmm. 90% of people that hunt in a traditional tree stand, they hunt out of a ladder stand. That's what most hunters yeah, are using. Yeah, Okay, so your movement, let's say you're, you envision yourself, you're sitting sitting against the tree, and the tree is at 6 o'clock, and you're facing noon. So you're shot with a bow from, I'm going to say, let's see, noon, so we're like 7 o'clock to... Noonish mm-hmm. is is very little movement, right? right? I mean, you're talking pick the bow up, draw, and you can pretty much you don't even have to stand up to make that shot. Right. Most people don't have right. to stand up, so you can shoot from I'm going to say seven o'clock to eleven o'clock without standing up. Sure, same exact scenario in the saddle, except the clock is flipped. So now you're facing noon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I and from ten o'clock to about six o'clock, I hardly have to move at all. Right, so I'm sitting in my saddle. I'm facing noon. I've got the bow on the left hand side of the tree. If I'm a, if I'm a right-handed shooter like most people are, I grab the bow off the tree, and then I draw the bow, and I can pretty much, just think sure. about that logically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can pretty much make this rotating shot just by moving your hips. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to move at all. And then with just a little bit of movement with pushing some pressure against your knees around the tree, or if you're on a pivot-style platform or even a ring-style platform, you can move your feet just one or two rings. Mm-hmm. And then you can shoot all the way to about 5 o'clock with 
almost no movement except except your hips. You know, you, you're having to rotate at your hips and move your body just a little bit, but very, very little movement. So just like a tree stand, you want to set up in most where most scenarios that shot opportunity is going to be at your strong side. I call that your strong side. Mm-hmm. So in a tree stand, the the clock would be reversed, but in a saddle when you're facing noon, uh, then you know your strong side is everywhere from about noon to about six o'clock ish. Mm-hmm. You know we're, mm-hmm. go, we're going in in big averages here. So I I would I always. Uh, advise people when you're setting up in a saddle set up to where you expect the deer to come from you know that sure obviously you can't always do that but if you're hunting a funnel put the funnel on your left side if you're if you're hunting a food source and you think that the the deer are going to come to the food source put the food source on your left side um and that comes with with some practice but so so there therefore eight where i'm going with that is 80 percent of your shots should be to that strong side and it's very, very, very little movement. If you have to shoot to your weak side or to the to your right, if you're a saddle and you're a right-handed shooter, that's the most difficult shot to make in a saddle, and there's the most movement in that in that shot. So you can do it two mm-hmm. ways. You either walk around the tree clockwise mm-hmm. and shoot that way, or you kind of spin around backwards and walk around the tree counterclockwise. And so there there is some movement there. Um, it definitely is. But keep in mind, you have the same amount of movement. If you're in a in a traditional tree stand and you got to shoot to your extreme right, you got to turn and you got to pivot all the way around. That's true. Because you can't shoot across your body. That's true. So That's you true. have to. So you've got to stand up and you've got to turn all the way sideways in in that traditional tree stand to make that shot as well. Plus, you can't even shoot behind you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I don't want to be dishonest. I, I think that there probably is maybe a little bit more movement mm-hmm. in a saddle for, for setting up for those awkward shots, but it's still doable and you don't have the downside of losing, you know, some sure. measure of, of shot that sure. you can't even take sure. in a traditional tree stand. Yeah, and, and I think that's the big, that's that's the part is you can still make the shot. Is there movement that goes into it? Yes, but in, unlike a traditional tree stand, you lose that shot, period. You lose it. He walks behind you and you don't get a shot because he doesn't, you know, come back into that 270-degree window. You've lost the opportunity either way. At least with the saddle, it seems like you have the opportunity to, uh, you know, uh, make that up opportunity and i've made that shot before multiple times that that weak side shot to the right uh my very first muley that i shot in colorado i shot uh out of out of the saddle and he came in he came in from from you know in a clock i'm facing the trees noon he came in from three o'clock and i shot him at about four thirty five o'clock wow and i had to spin completely backwards and shoot him and I wasn't very high. I was probably only maybe 18 feet high because this cottonwood that I was in, I just couldn't get very high. And I was able to pull that shot off. So, and I and I I promise you right now, there's like 500 saddle hunters listening to this mm-hmm. thing, going, "Yeah, man, you can totally make that shot." Like, <laughs> it takes some practice, sure, and, and it's awkward at first, but you can totally do it. Right. And if you're if you're smart about it, you know, if you see. You know, you see the deer coming. Now, if he came in, like, super quick, like right. maybe trailing a doe or something, and it just was on you, I mean, you got to make the call. Do you swing around and try to make the shot, or do you wait for another one? I mean, that's... Well, but I'm going to... I'm gonna. I, I think that I think that, that even helps you in that case, because if he's, de- if he's dogging that doe, you can get away with the movement. Yeah, true. In that scenario, yeah, you're probably right. You know, it, it, the only time that I think you're kind of vulnerable would be, like, you know, a regular 
methodical deer is walking down a path. It's early yeah. season. He's he's highly in tune with his environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get that. It's, it's a valid point. Um, but at least you have the opportunity. You, you have the opportunity. Sure. I, I want to be completely honest in that I do think there probably is a, a little bit more movement on some of the shots mm-hmm. with the saddle, uh, some of the shots that you won't take very often. So that's in in this scenario, it's kind of like taking the extreme and then using that as the norm and saying, mm-hmm. well, you, you can't hunt with a saddle because look how much you have to move for this one shot that you'll take three times in your whole hunting career. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like taking the extreme and then saying that's going to happen all the time. Right. It, it happens. People do shoot deer that way, but it's just not very common. Well, realistically speaking, how often do you lose that shot already? Yeah. Right? Like, I think I can probably, if I really search hard, I bet you I could say on one hand how many times I've had a deer that I wanted to kill come behind the tree stand to where I didn't have a shot. Yeah. Right? Like, maybe a handful of times. And so what? If you continue down the path you're going, you're not going to have that. If you continue to use a lock-on tree stand, if you continue to use a climber or a traditional tree stand, you're still not going to have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of want to say that I get real frustrated when people say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to have to practice with the saddle. Mm. It's awkward to sit in the saddle. And 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 I'm going to have to overcome this. I'm saying this for accountability purposes, Greg. This is for me. Mm-hmm. Um it was awkward the first time you drew your bow back, right? The first time you ever drew a bow. Yeah. Your, your elbow was all kind of jacked up in your arm. I'm, I'm sorry, nobody draws back the first time and it feels as comfortable as it does when John Dudley touches his his, yeah. his Hoyt in the morning. You exactly. know, um, uh, so to me, the getting familiar with it work component that you keep bringing up, like for me, I feel like anybody who uses that as an excuse, it's really just, it's, it's a crutch that people are using. Like if you don't want to face the tree, if you don't want to, uh, I don't know, if you have other reasons for not using it, fine, but it takes some practice. I mean, okay, let's be real. A dedicated archer flinging thousands of arrows yeah. in a year. I mean, it, it was hot. It was buggy. You probably got bit by mosquitoes doing all that, but you're not yeah. willing to learn how to use a right. different piece of equipment. Right. I mean, and if you're a if you're a lock on stand user, let's say you're you know you're one of these guys that is a hang and hunt guy. And that, that's me. That's a lone wolf guy. Yep. You know, with a lock on, that took a learning curve. You're dishonest if you say that it didn't. It, yeah. There was a learning curve to learning. How to keep it quiet, pulling yep. that big giant hunk of metal up in the tree. Yep. You had to put some things in place to figure out how to quiet that thing down. How to carry it. How to carry yep. it. That was a learning curve. There's a learning curve to, okay, now that I'm at hunting height, I've climbed my sticks, and now i got to hang this stand. There's a learning curve. Sure. How do I brace myself? What's the easiest way to do it? Do I always set it up on the left-hand side or the right-hand side because that's my strong side, and it's easier to loop the strap around and then tighten it down? There is some learning curve sure. there, and if you if if a tree stand hunter doesn't admit that, then he's just being dishonest with himself. So, uh, I I don't think there's any more of a learning curve to saddle hunting than there is than that. It just takes some a little bit of dedication and a little bit of, of desire, and and you can you know a 15 minute practice session with your saddle in your backyard, and you're 70 percent there. Show me show me a run and gun hunter today by the by the commercial market standards that hasn't put countless hours in at the office, on the clock, while they're thinking about hunting, going through forums on how to mod their stands, going through forums as how to pack their how to pack their sticks in, and, and I put it on my left side when I'm climbing this kind of tree because then I can access the sticks more quietly and then come up here, and then I have one rope that comes off my left boot so that I can, you know, that didn't get tied, tied up to this. So like, I mean, like, literally, if you think about all the time that most... Because by the time you get to the run and gun status, right, and you're doing it with any kind of uh, dedication, you're putting countless hours into your craft. 
Countless. I mean, that's just the best word for it, okay? And to me, that seems like a cop-out. Now, if you get in there and you just never feel comfortable and you just never feel like it's the right thing for you and you put that time in, okay, cool. I'll respect that, yeah. right? I, but it's the same thing with the step letters that we use. You know, uh, full disclosure, step, you know, Wild Edge is a sponsor of my podcast. I was reluctant to freaking learn how to loop a thing up around a piece, oh, a piece of fabric around um, a rope around a piece of steel and tie it in. And then I got to thinking about it. I was like, that's the most stupid thing I could ever be resistant to. Like, if I don't like it, fine. But it, it the knot is on the back. Yeah. You know, like, you, if you forget, which I do all the time, I overthink it. I'm like, uh, what am I supposed to do? Just look at the bag that's on your hip. Oh, yep, that's what I do. Click. There it goes. You know, and I and I talk to people and like, oh, well, I don't want to tie a knot ten times. I'm like, well, it's like three loops, and then you cinch it down. It's like, if you're that lazy that that's that's your uh, your objection, you know, I only want to carry three sticks. Cool, that's a good excuse, right? There's good excuses, and then there's crutches. A good explanation, and then there's excuses. Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I would say that if you are the type of person or the type of hunter, uh, and you're looking at getting into a saddle system, and you just you are so busy between work and family and other commitments mm-hmm. that you don't have enough time to learn a system. I would say don't don't do it until you have time because saddle hunting isn't the kind of thing that you can just throw on your hips, sure. walk into the woods on opening day, set up and be good. I wouldn't recommend anyone do that. Uh, so if you don't have time and you're or you're not willing to to dedicate the time, I would say just keep doing what you're doing. If you're happy with the results you're getting, you know, hunting the back 40 in a ladder stand, hey, more power to you. We right. need hunters to do that. Absolutely. Um, no judgment whatsoever. Yeah, but but you got to be willing to put, a, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of effort into learning the system, or else you're going to hate it. Yeah. And then I would rather you not do that. You know, sure. if you're out there listening and you're not willing to put in the effort, because what's going to happen is you're going to buy a saddle, and you're going to try it one time, and then you're going to go, this thing sucks, I hate it, I can't believe I ever did this. And you're going to tell all your hunting buddies <laughs> the saddle hunting doesn't work, and the people that say it does, they're liars. Because yeah. you tried it once, yeah. and it was uncomfortable. Yeah. It hurt your hips. Yeah, you didn't adjust anything, but, you know. Yeah, yeah but so that's what's going to happen, and then you're going to give saddle hunting a bad name that it doesn't deserve. So, yeah, to answer your question, I guess, in the most succinct way, you can absolutely shoot 360 degrees, 100%. It's not sure. a lie. You can do it. There is a little bit of movement, but it's not that much different than a traditional tree stand setup. It, it's not It's not a function of when I'm going to do it. If I'm going to do it, it's when. Yeah. Right. It's one of those things where I am comfortable where I am, and that brings a degree of yeah. complacency, right? Yep. Um, but that onus is on me to sort through you know, those, those, uh, components well, to sort through those, those questions that I have. And you also have to, you have to decide, you know, if your system's working for you, good, mm-hmm. great. Sure, sure. But if you, you know, what, what happens is a lot of, a lot of hunters see the benefits, you know, man, I can hide behind the tree, man. It's, there's no metal. I, I don't have to worry about lugging a right. heavy a, a stand through the woods, banging on stuff. And like you said earlier, most guys figure out ways around that, but there's a learning curve there. You know, you're not, you're not hauling in a 15 pound on the light end of a, a tree stand. Yeah. On the light you're end. eliminating all that metal. Yep. You can roll a saddle up, throw it in your pack. I mean, yep. there's lots of benefits and that's what makes guys start to think about doing it. Well, and, and if you're already a running gun hunter, you're probably going long distances, right? Like let's, let's be real. If you're a running gun hunter, you're already, part of 
I don't want to say elite because you're not really elite, but maybe elite efforts, right? Like if you're yeah. a running gun hunter, you're not an elite hunter, but you're putting in an elite effort. You're working harder than most guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because if you really wanted to do it uh, with the, the, the greatest amount of ease, you go and you buy your $20 uh, Sportsman's Guide lock-on and your $30 set of 15 sticks that all go onto the one thing and you leave that tree stand up and you hunt that. You've made a decision to make things harder on yourself. But well, there's nothing wrong with that. No, if that's no, the no, kind no. of hunter yeah, you want to no. be. Yeah. I, I have no judgment whatsoever. I hunt public land. Okay. I have to adapt to hunting pressures, deer pressures, food source changes, hogs moving in. It makes no sense for me to have multiple setups, not to mention I really can't afford to have enough yeah. high quality setups. There you okay? go. That's another and, good point. And and, and and that's that's one of the, the, the other attractive pieces, and in fact this was what I was trying to think of a minute ago was for me it's the same thing as having a lone wolf but it cuts back on all that weight. Right, and I'm not picking on Lone Wolf specifically. If you're listening, I apologize. It's just the weight component of it. If you look at the weight, I'm already using the lightest climbing system there is out there, with the exception of some boot spikes, right? Yeah. Which I know you're a fan of. I'm a fan of. Um, yeah. So my whole climbing system right now weighs eight pounds, ten ounces. That's with an eighter, eight steps in the bag. So that's your climbing method. That's my climbing. So method. let's not talk about climbing methods too much because that's it's hard to compare apples to apples. Sure, sure. Oh well. So let's talk lone wolf to saddle. That's probably the best comparison. I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. So because I can throw out that I'm using a set of spikes that weighs less than three pounds and I can climb any tree in the woods. Well, the only reason I, I, I sought to make that comparison is because when I look at run and gun, I think of total pack weight, right? Mm-hmm. So I was just making the 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 correlation that I've already chosen to do a tougher route. Yeah. that provides a, a lighter weight. Okay, yeah. I so see where you're going so with you know if you go to the running gun Facebook page or any of those those groups, you see guys. So what's your total? setup weight right and they're like 27 pounds right mm-hmm. and these are guys who have really like i've taken this steel bolt out and i've put in an aluminum uh tack weld here you know like these guys are like i, I tie this on with dental floss and hopefully it holds you know like they're cutting all the weight they can and they're still 25 27 pounds so what's your you know what your lone wolf's just the stand how much the does stand it itself it's supposed to be a 12 a 12 pound stand it's 14.5 and that includes the the ratchet straps and everything to no that is not including the ratchet That is just, that is, well, it's got probably a pound of paracord on there. So you want to call it 15 um, pounds? Let's say 15 pounds with, with the ratchet straps and everything. So we're just carrying, and then what? what's the safety harness weigh? And the tether oh, and all that Oh, it's got to be heavy. It's probably close to th- three to five pounds easy, wouldn't you think? Uh, a standard, it's like a, a standard web strapped. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would I would suspect that once I sweat in the early season and it holds on to all that moisture, it's at least three to five pounds. Right? Okay. So so you so to compare apples to apples, you gotta care you gotta you have to weigh the stand. Sure. You've gotta weigh all the attachment methods mm-hmm. and you've gotta uh, you've gotta factor in a safety harness if you're gonna be safe doing right. it. Right. So I, I don't know. Let's call it set sixteen, seventeen pounds. Sure. Just for the sake Sounds of argument. Good to me. Whereas a saddle system, just just apples to apples. Let's say you went with a, 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 a tethered mantis, right. which is 15 ounces, or if you went with an arrow hunter kestrel, since those are the only two sure. commercially available, which is about, I think, somewhere around three pounds, maybe just under mm-hmm. three pounds. So you're talking 15 ounces right. or three pounds, plus you got to factor in a uh, your safety system, so your rope and mm-hmm. your carabiners, another pound or two. Mm-hmm. So you're talking on the, hi- on the high end, five pounds. Right. On the low end... Two to three pounds, right? Versus fifteen to seventeen pounds for a lightweight, right? 
lock-on stand. Right. So I don't know. You're an accounting major. I mean, I don't know what percentage off that is. But that's got to be like 70%, 80% weight savings. The, the official term for that is a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sir, I mean, but realistically. It's a big deal. It is a big deal, and it's a lot of weight. If you're like me and you go a couple miles back in, dude, that's a lot of weight. If you pull a deer out, that's less weight you have to pull out. Yeah, and a pound on your a pound. You know, I know this from from my ultra yep. ultralight hiking background. A pound on your back is eight pounds on your feet. Yep. So you're talking the difference in call it ten or twelve pounds times eight. Right. You're getting close to. A, you're talking a major difference right. when you're walking. You know, mile, two right. miles through yep. through rough country. So yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah, it, it, it's a huge difference. And then I think you also need to like everybody focuses on weight. And I think people need to look at effort, okay? There's a effort that is put into hanging the set, getting in, and getting out. And for me, I don't have to put on a safety harness. Cuts time. Cuts weight. Cuts time. I get to the top of the tree. I'm already in my tree stand. I don't have to take a quick... So, like, I'll just make this real easy. I get up to the top of the tree stand having climbed to the top, right? Uh, top of the... Where I want to hang the tree stand. I put my easy hang around. I set that tight. Is it where it needs to be? Is the bar going to be down there on, on any of my climbing straps? No, everything's good. I can cam this down. I have enough space. I take my backpack off. I put a hook into the tree. I put my backpack on the on the hook. I then detach the lone wolf from the, 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 the bag, put it on there, cinch up the two straps, cam lock it down, stand on there, give it the, the old faithful jump test to make sure it's where it needs to be. If it's for, right the first time, which sometimes you have to make adjustments, um, then you're good. So... You get to eliminate all that effort. And, dude, I'm going to be for real with you. I hunt Florida. You hunt Georgia. Yeah. It's hot 99% of the time here. It sucks. And I'm talking, like, oppressive humidity and heat. I'm sure there are other places in the world I have not uh, been to yet that that have this kind of heat. But the ability to be at the top of the tree, put my last step in, get on top of the platform and go, okay, I'm done. Dude, by the time I get to the top of my climate, I'm already done. Yeah. Mentally, like I don't want to put the, the yeah. lock on, on so as it is. If you're using wild edge steps, do you think you're going to use the wild edge steps as a platform as well, or do you think you'll use something different? <sighs> no, um, I want to try the mantis. No, it's not the mantis. What do you call it? The, the predator. The predator. Um, and the reason for that is uh, pseudo safety, right? It's just like a. It's a. I'm so used to. It's twofold. One, I'm so used to having something to stand on that looks like a tree stand. Yeah. I feel like psychologically yeah. it'll provide me a little bit of comfort. Yep. Um, but then I don't, I hunt a lot of pine trees and I deal with a lot of sap. You do yeah. too. And I don't want to have to deal with trying to get a bunch of different steps around the top. I, I probably, I'm going to get, I'm going to try it just because, yeah. and if I ever forget, um, ever forget the predator i mean i can always take my step this is one benefit of using those i guess now yeah is you just put a couple up there yep um a lot of people like those yeah no i mean and i've i have i've tinkered with it in the backyard and kind of like played with that having seen the videos and i'm not using a, a saddle i'm just using my like my safety harness just to yeah. kind of see what um but for me every time i, I pop something into a pine tree there's sap that comes yeah, off and sucks. i just i just don't want to deal with that i agree with you 100 um, percent. it gets know, on all your straps going all the way down and then no matter what you do you know yep so, so let's say that you're going to use uh, the pivot style platform. If you didn't use the man, uh, the predator, if you used some other DIY option or other things like that, um, so you get to the top of your climbing aid, the top of your wild edge steps. At this point, then you would strap on your lone wolf and do all that. Whereas versus a, a, a saddle system, the way I always tell people to do it is, you know, go ahead and set your platform sure. while you're connected to the tree with your lineman belt, yep. so you're nice and safe. 
um, and you go ahead and set your platform. It takes 30 seconds to set right. your platform. The, the Predator platform is going to go on like that. If you chose a ring of steps, um, uh, you know, a, a, a ring of step style platform, then you're talking running running a line around. A ratchet strap is what most people use. Cinching that down as tight as you can put on a, a ratchet strap, that's mm -hmm. your platform. And then, you know, right when you're ready to climb onto your platform, before you do that, go ahead and put your tether around the tree. Clip it into your harness so you've got two backups. You've got a lineman belt sure. or you've got one backup. You've got a lineman belt attached to the tree, and then you're attached to that tether, which is, again, like we talked about, you know, could hold a Jeep. It's not going to break. Um, so that way when you do step onto your platform, whatever that is, a pivot style or a ring style, if it breaks, if the ratchet strap breaks, if a bolt breaks in a pivot style, a DIY thing, mm -hmm. something catastrophic were to happen – you're connected to that tether, and you're not going anywhere. Right. So it's ultra safe. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's the way I do it. Is I I attach to I t I attach my tether. I always try to get it right mm -hmm. to where I won't have to adjust it, but it never works <laughs> out that way. So I always attach it. I clip my carabiner to my saddle. I tighten it up as tight as I can. I climb onto my platform so that way there's there's minimal slack in my in my tether, and if it if Worst case scenario, I step on a platform and it instantly breaks, like instantly, and it's gone, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. and I'm free falling. I'm probably going to fall about eight inches right. before it catches me. And an eight-inch fall isn't going to provide enough load anywhere to break no. anything. And and I, I wouldn't even say an eight-inch fall is really falling. You're, you're, more, yeah. you're more or less slipping at that point, right? Like It would scare the hell out of me, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I yeah. would be fine. Yeah, yeah, and then and then I guess to finish the story, going to crack. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, then I climb onto the platform, and like I said, the tether's never exactly where it needs to be. So right. I end up, you know, standing up. I adjust my tether, then I lock it right. in. And so there's a there's a little bit of plug and play there, but it's definitely faster than setting a, a, a tree stand. How how big is the predator? Oh, Ernie's gonna kill me because I don't know the exact kill him, dimensions. Ernie. But I want to say twelve by fourteen. Okay, so it's small enough that you can set this up with your lineman's belt, then bring your lineman's belt over the top. Sure. See, and that's another thing that you lose time on when you use the lone wolf or any of those. When you're setting that thing up, right, your your line your uh, lineman's belt's around the base. I've not on some of the bigger trees. I can't get. I can't lift that platform up uh. and get my my rope around. So I have to take out a second lineman's belt that I've always got because I climb up trees that I need to be able to detach and go around yeah, branches. Yeah, yeah. And I have to loop that around the top, clip that in, undo the other one, then climb, and then climb up. Oh yeah, up. you shouldn't have that problem with a, with a with a predator platform or yeah. a DIY platform or with a ring of step platform. You should be fine. Yeah, and and yeah, that's again, you're saving time, you're saving energy, you're conserving energy is really what you should say is you're conserving energy, you're saving time, and you're saving weight. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of pros. I mean, yeah. There are some cons for sure. There's the learning curve. Yeah. There's, it's different. You've got to be willing to learn. Um, I think the big. I think the worst con you're gonna have to deal with is your buddies looking at you funny when you get up the truck. That's a thing. Oh, I know. The, I, can, the, I can't wait. The camo diaper. Yeah. What people call. <laughs> oh, I've never heard that. Yeah. It's really. A, yeah. Camo diaper. Back in the day when I was hunting out of a trophy <laughs> line, uh, I actually had. There's there's lots of guys that have this story on the forum of people yeah. calling it a camo diaper, but I had a. When I was hunting at Fort Drum, New York, upstate New York, out of a trophy line, uh, I had a game warden stop me and ask me what the cam camo diaper was. Oh my god! You need to you need to brand that into tethered. <laughs> you need. <laughs> I I wear a pre uh, I wear a camo diaper a and camo then I have diaper? a hashtag tethered. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 
but uh, no, man, it's just I'm I'm glad we talked because I'll be honest with you, I've been I've been looking at this for when was the first time John Eberhart was on Wired Hunt? Oh, geez, right, yeah, long that, time that, ago. that's how long I've been. Matter of fact, I thought I saw the first saddle. It might have been like a Guido's web in like the back corner of some sportsman's magazine back in the day, and I thought, oh, that looks cool. You know, one day I'll, I might get that. You know. Um, it seemed always seemed kind of like an old school technique, right? Like it yeah. has like this novelty status, and it's cool to see on the Saddle Hunter forum, um, and and through talking to people like you, like this is still a modern thing. If anything, it it the tree stands are almost like a regression from hunting with the saddle. I mean, like I hate to throw that out there, but it, it's kind of there are a lot more benefits to hunting out of a saddle than there are out of a traditional tree stand. Sure. There are, and, and, you know, I'm not going to go through the laundry list of yeah, them, yeah, but, yeah. but it, it's pretty apparent to most people right. when they see it, they go, they can instantly see the advantages. Sure. You know, and, and they still have questions, and they go, man, I don't know if it's that comfortable. What do I do with my feet? That's weird. Ah, hanging from that line. I don't know if I want to do that. But instantly in their head, they're putting it together. They're going, man, I could pretty much hunt any tree with that thing. Man, I could really hide behind the tree. Man, that's awesome. And so people see the benefits right away. It's just sometimes they let the unknowns or the the fear of the unknown get in the way of them making the decision to go for it. And, and, and I was thinking about this the other day, and I was talking to Derek about this. I think you almost have more of a concealment, not just from being able to hide behind the tree, but what looks more natural? If you if you took back if you step back and you look at the profile of a guy, let's just say he's sitting in this in his saddle harness on that pine tree. He's gonna have his feet coming off the pine tree. That, that that angle is going to come up, and then he's going to be his tree like a, his body is going to be vertical from that point, right? So you have this angled legs coming up, and then the body goes straight up. Yeah. And to me, that looks like a branch on a tree. Yeah. Whereas with a tree stand, it immediately starts off with this with this ninety degree jut. Yeah. Right. And then it comes up to this odd, odd look. So you hear all these people uh, uh, up north who say. Because I've never experienced this down here. The deer never get close enough. But uh, they're walking down the trail, and all of a sudden they're like, boom, and they just look right up at you. Like, they, they just they just saw you out of their peripheral, and these are the same deer that, while I'm turkey hunting, are, like, bopping their head up and down, trying to figure out if I'm a stump or if I'm a human, right? So it's the same animal. You can't tell me that his feet coming off that tree trunk and then coming up, if you take it in pure black and white, right, that that doesn't look like a tree trunk. Like yeah. That doesn't look like a tree branch coming off. I mean, I've definitely been picked off in a saddle. Matter of fact, I got picked off by a big buck this year in oh, a no. saddle. Um, but but I will say, but that was because I was moving the camera. I was trying to get the, the buck on camera, and, and I think he saw me. I know he saw me. He saw me moving the camera, trying to get it in yeah. position. Yeah. And I, however I say that, I, I was where I was going with that is that I get picked off, but more often than not, the, when I get picked off, the deer are more confused. They're kind of like, something's weird about that right. branch, right? but I'm not sure what it is. Sure. And it's kind of like they're almost confused. Right. Um, whereas it seems like in a, in a tree stand when I would have gotten picked off, they were a lot more cautious. It, se- it seems like I get away more in a saddle than I, do, than I did in a tree stand. So, uh, That's ma- completely anecdotal. There's, yeah. there, there's obviously no facts or figures sure. behind that. Just from my my anecdotal evidence, sure. that's the way it feels. Well, and I can't wait to, to contribute to that conversation because I'm going to put myself in, in maybe some exposed trees and just kind of see what, you know, if you take these pine trees and you have the jut coming off the side, I mean, it's obviously going to look odd. But if you look at any of these pecans that are across the way from us, I mean, look at all those branches and how they jut off. Oh, yeah. You know, if you put, if you were up in one of those trees. Like, Invisible. Granted, yeah, yeah, exactly. Invisible. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So that that's cool. You need to. I have a request, and this is for a buddy of mine. Y'all need to do a podcast because we've been recording for a while now. But y'all need to do a podcast on the ability to film hunt successfully. From a saddle. Okay. Because I can tell you right now, there are a lot of guys who are run and gun filmers that are tired of having 40 pound weights, weight packs with camera gear, tra- uh, uh, camera arm, all like the gear that goes into that, right? You know this because you, you film as well. And then they've got this 27 pound run and gun system that they've already put together. They put that weight, they're exhausted. But the one thing I hear from them on a routine basis, and I get private messages. Every time I post about subtle hunting or I, I, I share something from Tethered, people are sending me private messages. I'd love to do that, but there's no way I could film from that. And, <laughs> I'm, like, and I'm like, hey, there's this guy. He's got a YouTube channel. He does it. And then they're like, I just don't think you get the same quality. And I'm like, yeah. you need to talk to this guy. And, it's and, ridiculous. And, and, and it's fear. It's it, the it fear is. of the unknown. It is. It, it's, it is. It's totally unfounded. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that Flinging Arrows and that. Um, oh yeah, yeah. His the YouTube's urban awesome. sportsman uh, Taylor Chamberlain. Look at some of the stuff they put out. I mean, right. their stuff is quality, and they're they're dedicated saddlers. Yeah. I mean, Taylor Chamberlain. He's been hunting from a saddle for over ten years. Right. I mean, that dude has got as much experience in the saddle as it gets, and he's he's. Loves it. And mm-hmm. then you look at Jared Schaefer, Flinging Arrows. I mean, he puts out some super quality stuff, 100% saddle filmed. I mean, me, I'm not near as good of a of a filmmaker as those guys are. Uh, but last year I filmed every single hunt, and every single hunt was from a saddle. And, I mean, you can watch my stuff and make the decision for yourself. I mean, is it is it good enough quality? I mean... You know, don't don't take the, my crappy cameras and mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. my lack of a camera skill set. But yeah. it, but the saddle in no way limits filming. Right. Not not even not even a chance. Yeah. It's yeah, just no. people that just don't know. Jared Jared puts out great content. Uh-huh. I'm subscribed yeah. to his channel just like I am yours. And as soon as I get a no- notification, I can uh, I'm, I'm tuning in, man. That's uh yeah. And I keep trying to tell people that, and I, I think they just need to hear it, maybe like from the horse's mouth or something, you know? Because I'm not a saddle hunter yet, so what yeah. weight do I have, you know? And I, I, and I get that. I'm not asking for people to consider me an authority just because I've been reading up on this for three years now. But you know, I, I think from y'all, I think that you need to get uh, Jared on or something, or, or get like a get a get that those three people together, or those two people with yourself on a podcast, man, and. And and just completely demolish that misnomer because y'all put out awesome content. That's a great idea. We need to do that. Okay, Jared Taylor, <laughs> you guys are coming on the podcast very soon, and we will talk filming with uh, with the saddle setup. Man, did we answer your questions today, dude? I think I could continue to pepper you with questions, but I think you've given me so much information. I need to go home, digest, ruminate on these topics, and come back to you for another day. That's a great plan. Uh, we set out with the goal of. Of convincing Walt to come over to the light side. I'm not gonna say the dark side because we're the light <laughs> side. So we're coming over to the light side and green and blue sabers. Be be part of <laughs> of the Saddle Nation, SaddleHunter.com Nation, and I think we're well on our way. Hey, you guys need to go check out his podcast, Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. They can find you on iTunes, Google Play, you're on Stitcher, Podbean, those places. I am. Anywhere that you have a podcast, you listen to podcasts, we are there. I have salt. There you seen go. It out. Search it out. Chasing yep. Tales Outdoor Podcast. It's a lot of fun. And uh, you guys go support Wall. And you guys have a pretty pretty kicking Instagram account too, right? What's your name over there on Instagram? All of our information is the same. It's Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. So on Instagram, it's at Chasing underscore Tales underscore yada yada to the end. Um, Facebook is just Chasing Tales Outdoors. 
Um, and I'd invite all the Saddle Hunter Nation to join our closed group, Chasing Tall Tales. It's uh, just it's a heavily moderated area where we just share awesome stories, awesome content, questions, help each other plan hunts. It's just a it's not that much different than a lot of other groups besides the fact that I go to extreme lengths to make sure everybody who's in there are contributing members who are looking to better everybody in the group. Well, I appreciate you putting all that stuff out there. Saddle Nation, you guys need to go check him out. Support Walt. He's a great dude. And uh, I wish Scott could have been here on this particular podcast because he's a lot smarter than me. <laughs> and he would have been able to answer your questions a lot better than I could have. But uh, I did my best. And, Scott, I again, I wish you were here because, uh, like I said, I know you would have been able to do a better job than just me. But, unfortunately, you couldn't make it down here to uh, Georgia to go fishing with me and Walt. So, um, But, hey, man, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We are going to have you back. After you get set up, because I feel confident that you're going to get set up, and once you get set up, I want you to have you know some time under your belt. So I'm thinking maybe like September time frame after you've had enough time to practice with it, sure. get familiar with it, and then I want you to come back and say, Greg, you're full of BS, <laughs> or <laughs> hey, man, you kind of know what you're talking about, and you were kind of right. I will shoot you 100% straight, man. That sounds great. Let's do it, man. It's my pleasure to be on the show. It was so nice to have Walt with us from Chasing Tales, and you guys make sure to check out his podcast and his social and all that other stuff. Walt's a great dude. I enjoyed fishing with him and hanging out with him for the day. Yeah, it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure he kicked your butt in the fish count. Oh, well, pretty much everyone kicks my butt in any sort of activity outdoor activity that is because <laughs> i never claim to be good at anything just that i love to do it well that's all that matters that you're getting out there right get outdoors that's what it's all about just out there having fun yeah well that's cool i haven't actually uh oh i did get out bass fishing one day so far but i just i've just been catching up on everything uh I've been dedicating all my free time to any hunting-related activity, and I just haven't been able to cram any fishing in. So, I've been a few gotta times. Have your priorities. I agree. You got to have your priorities. I've been a few times out after the old largemouth bass and uh, done pretty well, but not nearly as well as I did last year. Uh, I haven't had nearly as much time off this this spring and summer, so I got to get back after it. I need work to slow down a little bit so I can get back out in the great outdoors. Yeah, that thing, that work always gets you, huh? Socks. Yeah. Well, what else do you got before we let him go, Scott? Uh, no, we're just, uh, again, here. This is July now, so we're really, really approaching hunting season. Just really looking forward to it. You know, we're, uh, we got bucks and velvet and getting that itch. I hear you. Hey, uh, one thing I'd like to see some more of on the forum is some some velvet pictures we haven't seen many of those and i know they're they're already growing i have a few that that i caught in velvet so i'll see if i can share those maybe we'll start a new thread with some velvet pictures yeah that sounds good all right man well if you don't have anything else i don't have anything else we'll let these guys get back to their drive back to work uh whatever it is the saddle hunters do when you're not saddle hunting but make sure to listen to the next episode of the saddle hunter podcast We'll